You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Giant Splash. I'm Henry Schulman, Giants beat reporter for the Chronicle, and today's guest is Giants outfielder Austin Slater, who at 27 has begun to hit like he not only belongs in the majors for good, but also deserves a shot to be an everyday player against lefty and righty pitchers. On Saturday night in Los Angeles, Slater became the seventh player to hit two home runs in the same game against Clayton Kershaw. We'll talk to Austin about that night, the adjustments he has made at the plate, a piece of wisdom from Barry Bonds that he keeps in mind, what it's like to be locked in a hotel room for a 10-game trip, and how he got elected as the Giants' union player rep at a time of great upheaval. Well, hello, Austin. Uh, so you, you're from Stanford. I'm from Cal. Welcome to the big game version of the Giants Splash podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fine. I, I think you must have been 11 years old the last time Cal won a big game before this year. So I'm not going to talk too much about not going to talk too much about that. Um, so uh, we're chatting here with about 36 hours left uh, on a on a 10 day road trip, uh, a 10 day road trip when you're really supposed to just stay in your hotel room. How's that worked out? Um, you know, it's it's been an interesting road trip um, for sure. Usually a lot of the guys, including myself, like to get out and, and walk around a little bit, maybe grab breakfast, but uh, you know, uh, we're all just trying to do our part uh, to stay healthy and keep the season on track. Yeah. Um, now I, I know in LA, uh, Gabe has told us that you had a little courtyard where you could sort of meet, uh, you know, go down and eat or, or be with the team. Was there something like that in uh, Houston and Denver as well? Um, not as much. Um, that was, that was really only for the first, the first road trip to LA. Uh, uh, we, we actually ended up having the uh, whole hotel to ourselves. Uh, they weren't opening up to the public until right after uh, we left. Oh, I see. So that, that was, that was kind of nice. Um, gave the guys a little, little more freedom, but the hotels in Denver and, um, actually last time we were in LA, um, and here in Houston are, are open to the public, even though they're, they're at 45, 50% capacity. Um, so, so it's just guys have to be a little more vigilant um, in these parts, especially Houston here, um, you know, with, with the, the spike in cases they've had. Right. Um, is it just been a lot of video games for you? Actually, yeah. Uh, you know, we have a, a lot of the guys are actually on, the, uh, on video games right now, you know, playing the same game. So that's, that's been a fun way to try to interact with, with teammates. and you know, unwind um, post-game or get warmed up pre-game. Okay, I'm just a little concerned that we're going to start seeing some carpal tunnel syndrome injuries here from all this <laughs> video game playing. Yeah, one more thing about the, the protocol issue. Um, you know, we saw that two Cleveland Indians were sent home for going out, two pitchers. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, has that been a topic of conversation in your clubhouse just in the sense that, I mean, it was made pretty clear, and then especially after the Marlins uh, and Cardinals 
that, you know, you're all kind of doing this for each other. And I'm just wondering if there were any, you know, is there any commentary among your guys that you heard? Yeah, you know, it was, it was noted. I think, um, you know, guys are trying to stay um, as informed as possible. And, um, you know, as an outsider, you, you do kind of like to see those kind of actions being taken. And, um, you know, I think we've done a great job of following um, all the protocols. And, you know, in some cases, we've been even more strict on ourselves before uh, MLB's, you know, um, created these new, new sanctions um, against guys going out. But, uh, you know, it's, it's also a warning sign, not only for us, but for the rest of the league that, you know, this is serious. And, and it's good to see that teams are taking it seriously as well. Okay. Um, let's move on to the topic I think most people want to hear about, uh, which is your hitting. Um, you're having a heck of a road trip, uh, two home runs against Clayton Kershaw, an off-field homer against uh, a righty yesterday. You also had a triple uh, against, I believe it was Dylan Floro in, in Los Angeles. Um, are, are we just sort of seeing in, on this trip maybe the culmination uh, or, or the you know, sort of logical extension of all of the work that you've done, even going back to the off season between 2018 and 2019? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of work, you know, since 2018, 2019. And, and, you know, you can, you can make a lot of swing adjustments, um, you know, during the off season, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you're going to make most of your adjustments in season uh, once you start seeing live pitching. And so um, I've had a tremendous amount of help and support from, from our staff this year. And, and continuing to make adjustments, um, you know, that play in games, um, you know, um, and, and at the end of the day, it's not just uh, swing adjustments. It's also approach adjustments, uh, things like that, trying to better understand um, how my swing works against different pitchers and, and, and what pitches to look for. Um, so, so that's been a great deal of help um, and hopefully we can keep it going. I remember a quote that you gave me last year where you said that uh, you recalled something Barry Bonds said, which is that you never want to swing at a pitch that you don't think you can hit out. Is that still a philosophy? Uh, you know, obviously uh, you got to change that, that approach just a little bit when you get to two strikes. But, you know, I, I think it's, you know, even if that wasn't something that he, you know, actively did every single pitch, it's, it's a great mentality. Uh, and, and obviously it shows why he, he was the, or he is the all-time leader in home runs um, is that, you know, he was, he had intention behind every pitch and every swing that he took. Um, and he took uh, great attention to detail when it came to um, his approach and his plan. Uh, so I, I think uh, that was very telling and it's definitely, you know, something that's worth striving for. Right. Now, uh, you know, if you start with the private, I believe you went to see a private swing coach in the off two off seasons ago, then last year, you know, still working with Hensley Mullins and Rick Shue. And then this year uh, with Dustin Lynn, uh, Justin Veely and uh, Donnie Ecker. Uh, so that's a lot of coaches. I mean, is it fair to say that maybe you've, you've pulled a little piece out of all of them to sort of, um, you know, get where you are at the moment? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. You know, I heard something, um, I forget who told me, but, you know, a lot of the great hitters around the league, they, they try to take something um, from from every coach. You know, you hear, hear of guys that uh, Mookie Betts, Bryce Harpers, um, that Aaron Nolan Arenados, that, you know, they hit with a bunch of different guys. And, you know, but they understand their swing and, and what they're trying to do. And they just try to take pieces. Um, 
but you know I think the the guys this year have had a had a huge impact um, so far um, you know they've they've brought a lot of new ideas and uh, you know are on board with a lot of a lot of the analytics and um, and, and fun fun tools that you can use to um, you know see swing path and and things like that um, so that's been that's been a great addition I feel oh, like mm-hmm. this year. Now, on this road trip, you hit two home runs off Kershaw that went to the middle of the field. You pulled your hands in against a right-hander and hit a triple down the, the left side, the le- uh, left field line. And then uh, you also hit an off-field home run against a right-hander yesterday. Uh, that really is kind of the definition of using all fields. You also had a single to the opposite field last night. Um, what does it tell us about where your swing is at, that we're seeing the balls, you know, the triple to left, the homers to center, the homer and single to right? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, my approach is, is usually always been right field, uh, to start, you know, especially with lefties. Um, and, and typically I've, I've struggled with, with sinkers down and in, but, you know, we've, um, tried to clean up the path and, um, and like I said earlier, like a lot of it is, a lot of it is approach driven, um, you know, not chasing sinkers and that you really can't handle down the left field line. Um, so, so there's been a lot of, a lot of great things so far on this road trip and, uh, I'm just going to try to try to keep it up. And, uh, you know, one of the things that has happened fairly quickly is that you were starting against lefties and, you know, the couple of big hits against righties, you've been, you know, you've gotten a couple of starts against righties. Uh, you know, even though, you, you know, you and I have talked about and, and, and on these Zooms that we've done with the whole group um, that, you know, this really is a team where uh, you, you have a good, good platoon partners like Alex Dickerson, for example, uh, who could start against right-handed hitters, but you might be sort of moving into everyday player territory. Uh, is that something that Gabe has talked to you about in terms of, you know, maybe buying more starts against right-handed pitchers, the, the better you hit them? You know, that's, that's something I think that goes uh, unsaid. Uh, I think you, in this league, you earn playing time uh, with results. So that's that's not something that I feel like needs to be discussed or even should be. I think it's just an understanding that, you know, um, uh, you earn playing time and you have to show it every day. Um, and if if you don't have the results, then you have no 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 legs to stand on in, in an argument saying, hey, I should be an everyday guy or I should be hitting on righties and lefties. Um, so, you know, for me, it's it's always been that, you know, I'm, I'm fighting and clawing for, for playing time and. Um, I think that's a great mentality moving forward and hopefully something that never, never really leaves me. Uh, you mean sort of the, going by the assumption that I hear a lot of players talk about, which is uh, play every day like, you know, like you're going to lose your job if you don't, you know, if you don't perform and don't put in the work. Is, is that sort of one of your mindsets? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, you, you see how quickly it can come and go. Um, you know, guys have uh, bright shining star and then you know they don't follow up their performance so um, you know it's it's a tough league to to get into but it's an even harder league to stay um, so it's some it's in a mentality that I think um, a lot of the great players in this league have. Okay and just going back to the the two homers in Los Angeles uh, I, I think in the moment we, we rattled off the, the, the list of the only guys who have hit two homers off a game against Kershaw I mean there's a lot of all-stars that were in that list Jose Reyes, Adam Dunn, um, Jay Bruce and, and some other guys as well. Um, and at, in, in the moment, you didn't seem too impressed with that. Uh, I mean, it was just after the game when we talked to you. Have, you. have you had time to sort of 
settle in and think about what you actually did hitting two home runs off maybe the best pitcher of the last decade? Um, you know, honestly, I, I tried not to give it too much thought. Um, you know, it's, it's part of the game. Uh, you know, I think if you, if you linger on moments, you can easily get, get caught up in the past. And so, uh, and this game is all about, you know, the present and future. So, um, you know, I, I'm trying to stay in the present as much as possible. And, you know, maybe at the end of the season, I can reflect and, you know, and soak it up a little more, but, you know, for now I'm trying to stay present and, and, um, and focus on the task at hand, which is uh, tonight trying to beat the Houston Astros. And one, one other question about sort of process in the COVID era. I mean, it's my understanding that you're limited in how much time you can be at the yard before the game. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think it's five hours before the game. Okay. I was going to ask if that just leaves you enough time to do all the work you feel you need to do on a daily basis to, um, you know, your batting practice, your sort of uh, study work on, on who you're going to face that night, the conversations that you're going to have with the coaching staff about uh, who you're going to see and whatnot. Yeah, you know, it's, it's changed it a little bit. Um, you still have, have enough time to, to go through, you know, pretty much your whole routine and, um, and preparation. But, you know, as far as like film study and, and video, it, it's all changed a little bit. You know, you used to have uh, computers that you could use that had, uh, you know, all the pitcher breakdowns, the charts, you know, but now all that's getting sent, you know, um, in the cloud. Uh, guys are going to have to do more homework at home, uh, you know, on the opposing pitchers. Um, but, you know, our staff's done a great job. We're, we're having daily hitters meetings to go over the starters, but, um, and, and focusing on individualized plans and things like that. So, um, there's, there's been a good mix so far. Um, and I think guys are starting to get comfortable with it. Okay. Well, uh, we're talking with Austin Slater of the giants who, whose career high in homers before this year was five. He has three on this road trip and we'll have more with Austin right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Henry Schulman back with Austin Slater. Uh, I wanted to just shift gears a little bit. Uh, you uh, were elected the player rep for the Giants uh, or the Players Association representative. I'm wondering how that happened because usually that's that's a job where like somebody gets elected when he doesn't show up for a meeting and they just decide to pin it on you. I mean, was that something that you actively sought? Um, yeah, actually, um, it was something that, you know, as I've always taken an interest in, you know, ever since coming to Pro Bowl. Um, for those out there that don't really know, there's, there's a ton of, you know, the CBA is a thick, thick packet and there's a lot of, a lot of different rules, a lot of different transaction um, transactions that teams can take. Um, you know, all all different kinds of things with how the market's going, uh, free agent market, things like that. Um, that you know, I've kind of taken an interest to. And uh, this past winter, I um, I accepted the invitation to go to the players' association meetings, uh, winter meetings. Um, and so that was, that was kind of eye opening to me, um, just to see all the detail that goes into it and, and just how complicated a lot of the process 
the processes are like, um, you know, arbitration and things like that. Um, so that was, that was uh, a great experience. And, um, you know, I was, I was the only guy to go from, from our team. And uh, prior to, to my uh, election as player rep, we had Corey Guerin as our, you know, main rep and, and he was, he was traded away. Um, and so that, that spot was kind of left vacant, even though, you know, we have alternates that, you know, obviously step in and, and try to handle some of the load and delegate. Um, but, you know, that was a spot that was open and, um, you know, the, the veteran guys in the clubhouse saw that I was taking interest and, you know, kind of just, um, you know, nominated me and, um, you know, kind of, uh, an unofficial fashion in spring. And then, um, we had our official player, um, player rep, uh, elections, um, in June, you know, during the, during the lockdown and, um, you know, uh, was able to, uh, get elected and, and, uh, be a part of a lot of those conversations leading up to the resumption of the season. And I was going to ask about that. I mean, that's, that's quite an initiation into the world of labor relations. What was that like for you? What was kind of your role? Now I realized that you know, there's an executive committee and there are paid negotiators who work for the union lawyers and whatnot. Um, so I don't really kind of get the sense of what you as the Giants player rep, what your role was in all of that. Yeah. So uh, most of the heavy lifting uh, is done by the executive committee, you know, which is elected at the winter meetings um, and, and the negotiators, like you said, from uh, the players association. Um and then, you know, there's, there's calls, you know, at least once a week, you know, kind of informing the players what's going on, um, opening the floor to discussion on ideas, things like that. But, you know, the main focus, the main job for me was, you know, to keep the guys informed and, and to raise questions and issues, you know, um, in those calls uh, if they came up. So, you know, we had a big text thread going and then having conversations with guys on the side. Um, you know, and it was great to see, um, you know, a ton of guys were, were stepping up and taking a huge interest in, in what was going on. So that was that was really great to see, um, you know, especially, you know, these are unprecedented times and guys are engaged. So it makes sense. But, you know, leading up to next year after next season, you know, we're we're coming up to a new CBA. So that was it was great to see um, the engagement by by players, especially our guys. And I think that right now, uh, among the public, the press, maybe even some, you know, who are directly involved, there's like uh, about, you know, zero confidence that you're going to be able to get a CBA done, uh, you know, by the start of the 2022 season. Uh, what's your, just what's your perspective on that? I mean, is there, do you see any possible way with relations being as bad as they seem to be right now that you could get to the table and get something done? Yeah, you without- know, they they seem bad, you know. Um, from the outside, you know, just with how those, those first negotiation, or I guess it's technically the second round of negotiations. Cause we, we ended up having an agreement in March and we're able to come to that actually pretty quickly within like a week or two, you know, right after the, the initial uh, shutdown of spring training um, happened. So, um, you know, there was, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of tension in the second round of talks and, you know, but I, I think a lot of it was spurred by the sense of un- uncertainty, you know, like just with what's been happening with the virus. And there's so much still left unknown um, with, you know, how what kind of course it's going to take moving forward. And so you have two sides that are trying to predict, you know, uh, a cloudy future and trying to negotiate in that kind of atmosphere 
um, is going to lead to added tension and, um, and that's understandable. Um, but you know, I, you've seen some promising signs, uh, you know, in the last month with how the union and, and the league have, um, you know, kind of moved through, uh, the first month of, or three weeks of the season, you know, uh, agreeing to expanded playoffs without much, um, you know, without much tension on either right, side, right. um, coming up with new protocols on the fly, um, you know, around the league. And, and now there's, there's talks of uh, a playoff bubble. So, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of positive signs that, you know, there, there is common ground and, um, and hopefully we can use this momentum moving forward to, you know, have, have a semi, uh, you know, conflict-free uh, resolution to this next CBA. And uh, have you been involved in any of the conversations on, like, what are they going to do about the Cardinals? I mean, you're playing your 19th game tonight as we speak. The Cardinals uh, have played five, and there's no guarantee when they're going to start up because of the, the string of positive tests that they've had. Uh, have there been any conversations you know of about how, to, how this season can, can have some integrity w- when you have something like that going on? Well, I, th- I think at, at the end of the day, their goal is to play as many games as possible. I, I think I saw yesterday it was like they need to play 55 or 56 games in, in 46 days or 40, something like that, um, which is obviously a daunting task. And, you know, that's another thing the league and the union have, have agreed upon is this, these seven-inning doubleheaders, um, expanding the rosters to 28 through the rest of the season to kind of help uh, shoulder that load of these teams trying to make up a lot of games in a uh, small amount of days. Um, but I think there's, there's common ground on, on trying to play as many games as possible to, to keep the integrity of the season, but also, you know, at the end of the day to, to get everyone paid um, teams and players included. Right. If there's a situation where the um, you know, one of the teams, like one of the teams on the playoff bubble has played 60 games and another has played 55 and you just sort of, let it fall where it may. I believe that happened in 1981 a little bit. Mm-hmm. You think players will be accepting of that? Uh, you know, it'll, you know, if you're on the wrong side of it, it's, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Um, you know, especially um, if it's a team that uh, wasn't one that had a COVID outbreak, but, you know, they just happened to have six games scheduled against the team that did and, um, and they weren't able to make those games up. So um, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for players, but, um, it's going to come down to winning percentage. Um, and you know, that's just, that's just the reality that is going to have to be accepted. Um, and I think that was part of the, the reason behind expanding the playoffs. Um, you know, if, if you're on the bubble, there's a reason why you're there. You could have played better. Um, as, as hard as that is to, you know, sometimes accept it's, it's the reality of the situation. Okay, and um, as as we conclude this podcast, I'm going to swing this back to the Giants. Um, off to a 7-11 start. Obviously, everybody knows about the defense. People are already being critical of the new manager, um, and, uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. As much as the positives that you've had with your hitting and Logan Webb's pitching and Donovan Solano and Mike Yastrzemski, there seems to be as much negativity uh, on the other side of it. Inside the clubhouse, what are the conversations like? I'm not asking you to critique your new manager, but I mean, just in general, what are the conversations like about, uh, you know, the 7-11 start and, and what the team can do to sort of get into a position to snag one of those last playoff spots? Well, you know, it, it, it's easy to say that it's, it's early and, 
you know, it's, it, it is and it isn't, right? Like, it's, everyone's trying to, trying to adjust to a, a new manager. You know, Bruce Bochy was here for, for a long time with his staff. And um, there's going to be growing pains. Uh, that's, that's bound to happen no matter who you are, where, what team you're on, how, how established the team is, or how young the team is. Um, so I think, I think chalking it up to that is, is a fair assessment. And, um, you know, obviously with the 60 game season, um, every win and every loss is amplified a little, a little more, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, once we catch a rhythm, it'll, it'll be, um, it'll be a little easier to, um, to, to fully assess what's going on. I think it's, um, it's easy to, to hit the panic button this early uh, when it's a 60 game season. But at, at the end of the day, you know, we're only 17 games in uh, and it's, it's a totally new, it's a totally new system for a lot of guys and um, there's going to be adjustments. So, um, you know, uh, I think we can hopefully, you know, turn this around and, and start, um, you know, playing, playing better all around baseball. And, you know, just list, lastly, I mean, if you can, I know you try to win every game, but if you can somehow split the last two games in Houston, you would go home eight and 12 and that would be after like probably the most brutal stretch of 20 games to start the season among any of the teams that has already played that many games. Uh, you think that there, there's a sense, or do you personally have a sense that, you know, if you can survive this stretch uh, with all the home games coming up and, you know, with the schedule just getting a little bit easier that maybe you can make up some of that ground? You know, that, that was never really a mentality. We, we had a lot of confidence going into the season that, you know, uh, we should be a winning ball club. Um, you know, and even looking at the schedule before the season started, uh, we felt that we could could get out of this stretch, you know, at 500 or above 500. But, um, you know, uh, sometimes it doesn't work that way. And uh, we know that this this was a tough stretch and um, we were playing a lot of a lot of good ball clubs. But, um, you know, it is a little refreshing knowing that we're going to start having a, having a longer home stretch here coming forward. And um, hopefully we can make up some ground um, moving forward. All right. Well, listen, Austin Slater, thank you so much for joining me on the Giants Splash. I look forward to a big game wager with you, I think, in May or June or wherever that's going to be. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Giants Splash. Look for new episodes with me and John Shea throughout this 60-game season. The Giants Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support The Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.